How did the early church grow from a small, unknown group of Jews to a staggeringly influential force for good in the Roman Empire? They had no political power, rarely traveled outside their own nation, and had little to no money. How did the early Christian community spread? They bought the freedom of slaves. They cared for the poor and sick, and they gave their lives with joy and gladness for their Savior. In short, their lives were more attractive and compelling than anything anyone had ever seen. They went against the grain. They stood up for what they believed in. They loved like they meant it. They were countercultural. How can we be the same? Living, giving, and loving differently. Welcome again. What a great song. Thank you, Philip and the team for that. That's a lot of work right there. We appreciate that. Um, what a great message. Amen. Great message. Uh, so good morning. So glad you're here, whether you're a first-time guest or you're a long-time member or you're joining us via the podcast today because it's just too soupy to get outside of the house. All right. We're in the middle of a series where we are looking at the ways in which the gospel calls us to live, to give, and to love differently. And we're moving through different portions of some letters in the New Testament to help us see that. Uh, many times we'll go through a book of the Bible. We did Back in August, we'll do so in a couple weeks, and as we get into the Christmas season, we'll be looking at the Psalms of Christmas, some Psalms there. But this month, we're going to look at some shorter portions of some New Testament letters to see again how the gospel calls us to live, give, and love differently. And as you know, in the, in the spirit of that, we've been doing some different things this month, haven't we? Uh, if you haven't been here the last two weeks, actually, you've missed quite a lot. Two weeks ago was our annual Live Big Sunday, and I know a number of you were here for that, and we asked ourselves a question. We asked, what if we could do for one what we wished we could do for all. There's a, there's a lot of need in the world, and we can feel overwhelmed by that need, but we can't let ourselves stay that way, right? We're Christians. We've got to do something about it. So we should do for one what we wish we could do for all. And so we said, hey, can we raise, we challenged ourselves, can we raise $15,000 for one organization, one time, on one day outside the scope of our church? We said, can we raise 15000 for Breath of Life Ministries, which gives both prenatal and postpartum care to women in crisis? And you didn't just do that. No, you went beyond that. And if you hadn't heard, we raised $18,000 on one time, one day for that. Yeah, it's a big week. And we showed the video last week of when we went over to Breath of Life and we took them that check and what a great moment that was. And so then in the, on the sort of heels of that, last week I began a sort of series within a series. It's two parts. That's less of a sermon and more of just me as a lead pastor just kind of talking to us talking to us and talking to our members and our longtime attenders and I'm going to continue in that vein today so if you're brand new you're relatively new here you're you're a guest if you're not a Christian and your friend just invited you here because you know you thought you meet someone cute fine we do that that happens here occasionally Uh, on one hand you can just kind of sit back and relax because this isn't really kind of aimed at you now but on the other hand, let me just say this, it's actually a great Sunday to be here, because if you're new, we're just going to kind of invite you on in, and bring you on in behind the scenes. Now, normally, it's never wise to go inside on a first date, all right, but this morning, all right, you can laugh about that, probably never wise, all right, but uh, today is an exception. We're going to show you what this church is like behind the scenes, and specifically financially, and make some observations, do some challenging along the way. So this is just me talking. We're going to get to the end today. And you're going to say, that was it? Just warning you. And that's it. All right. You'll know it when you feel it. So less preaching today. 
Less preaching, we'll get back to that. And some more just kind of common sense today. Me just talking to you, our members and, and longtime folks who are part of CCC. Now, like last week and the week before, there's a short passage from one of the epistles that serves as a springboard for some of the ideas that you're going to hear today. So this morning it's going to be from Colossians chapter 1, and let's look at it, a few verses, and then we'll get going. This is our scripture reading, Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, in which you have already heard about in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. That's God's word. And so here is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter to a Christian church in Colossae, and because of one thing in particular that was known widely about that church, and it's the word used by Paul the most in this little passage, and you may have picked up on it, it's the word love. The word agape. And this is, this is Paul writing here, and he's about to apply the gospel to a group of people who just loved each other. They just loved one another. They loved their church. They loved what they were a part of. And they loved them so much, right, that Paul had heard of it. He said that it's, you've got a faith, you've got a hope, you've got a trust in what God is doing throughout the world called the gospel. And what God is doing in the world has so moved your heart that now it looks like love for your church. It looks like love for all the people around you. And Paul says, this word has reached me. Now, if you'll notice, unlike other letters where Paul has actually got to kind of correct the church and encourage and plead with people to get along, he doesn't do that here. That wasn't one of their problems. Now, they had other problems, which Paul got to in the letter. But here, their love for one another, their love for their church was a defining characteristic. And it's a defining characteristic, if I could go this further, go this far, about how many of you, I believe, feel about what you're a part of here. And I know it's how I feel about you, how Carrie and I feel about this church. Now, this is a sort of sad but true statement I'm about to give you. There are many pastors who actually don't like the church that they're a part of or that they lead. Is this true? They only go there because it's their job. That's sad. Obviously not good, but it's just not the case. Praise the Lord with Carrie and me. Listen, I can't wait to see you on Sundays. I love Sundays, man. It's like the NFL. I live for Sundays. I love coming here. I wish I could do everything. I wish I could. I wish I could teach children's ministry. I love it when I see a child's mind and eyes opened up and touched by the gospel and they make the connection of who Jesus is. I wish I, wish I could serve coffee in the coffee bar to you to give you free, addictive, hot beverages. I mean, who doesn't want to be that person, right? Matter of fact, I know they're so good and so addictive because some of you can't even sit through a whole service. You've got to go out just after worship and get some or get up during the message and get some. That's evidently how good... Our coffee and baristas are here. I wish I could do it all. I wish I could be a greeter at the door and smile and greet people and give old Gumpy Gruss a hug when he walks to the door, you know, and get him excited about being here. I wish I could be an usher and help people's experience here be a great one. I wish I could do youth ministry. 
You know, play foosball for a living. Uh, uh, <laughs> and eat pizza and, and drink orange soda till my insides are radioactive with preservatives. You know, if you were to x-ray Taz, it's just, that's what he's got on the inside. It's like a pizza and an orange crush. It's, that's what he's got. I love coming here. I love the worship, don't you? We have an amazing team. And actually, I used to be on the worship team once upon a time and play bass for the music team until they found somebody better and kicked me off. It's a true story. All right. So that was you. Don't be offended either. All right. Happens to the best of us. I, I love it that my kids, maybe like your kids, have an amazing experience in Promised Land. Every Sunday night at dinner when we come home, we always talk about what we learned in church that day, what God spoke to us. And they talk about the songs they sang and what they mean. And they, they laugh at the video that they saw. And Listen, I, I, this, I love my church. And I know many of you too. If I weren't the lead pastor, even knowing all I know, actually especially knowing all I know, I would be here. I would choose to worship here. And then I would get to be on every service team and get to know and meet everybody. All right. And I know, again, many of you feel the same way. You love the quality of ministry here, which is really great for a a church this size. You know, we're not the hugest church, but we're not small anymore either. You love what we're doing on the campus, uh, in the the community, with the homeless community, in Mexico, with our orphanage. You know, you love how much we just give away, how how generous this church is outside the walls of our our organization, in a sense. Uh, Many of you are just even kind of church nerds, and you love the church government structure. I know you're out there. All right. Others of you, though you know you may not have started that way, you've kind of grown to love it over time. It was kind of different when you walked in or or, or different when a friend brought you and you've kind of grown to love it. You know, the music kind of wasn't your deal at first, but you know, you've grown to love it because, you know, it's kind of loud when you come in here. Listen, I know it's loud. We know it's loud. And not just from the really bad review we got on Yelp about that about the guy who came and it was so loud he was so disappointed and he couldn't be here he couldn't even sit through the message because was, he was so disturbed by it now that guy's other review was actually about how much he got he loved his new mattress he bought and how much he loved to sleep so i'm kind of putting together you know two and two is the kind of person that we've got on yelp but listen some of you you've grown to love who we are so These things happen, right? The internet is real. Uh, So this morning, I just want to talk to those of you who, like those Christians in Colossae, say, you know what? I just love my church. I just love what I'm a part of. You know, we're not not perfect. We've got some warts or some, you know, some sags here, some sunspots there. You know, all right. Those things exist. But you know what you're saying? I love what God is doing in my church. So if you don't love it, if you just hate being here today, this isn't for you. All right, this isn't for you. But I want to talk to those of you in the spirit of what we're doing in this series who would say, you know what, I just, I like my church. I love what God's doing here. I love how it's touched my husband or my family or my children. And yet, and yet, you do not have a plan to financially support the church that you're a part of. All right? I don't mean that you've never given at all or that you don't like to give to special needs or to, to France or, you know, Niger or another church that we support or another uh, nation we're involved in. I mean, if I were to ask you, what is your plan to financially support the church that you say you love? What is it? Hmm? Not just stuff outside the church where, uh, you know, we're connected to. If you're not a consistent percentage giver, if you don't, you know, go online and do the thing we do online or you don't just, you know, enjoy writing checks every week, maybe two of you like that or you, you like to pull out the cash and do it that way. You know, I like to actively give. I don't just sign up for auto draft. Maybe some of you do. I like to actually do it just because I want to feel it every time I give. Uh, So I want to talk to you. Hey, do you have a financial plan to support the church that you love? So hang with me for a moment because it's just going to get tense for a little while and then we'll come back up for air. Okay. All right. So let me ask you now, 
what would you call a father, right? A father who said, I love my children. They're amazing. I'm so glad I'm a father. I love my children, but I don't give them any money. I don't give them any money. I'm not going to support them. You know, maybe when they're down to, you know, the, the last bristle on the toothbrush or down to one sock or their, their hair is so long they can't see and they come and beg me and they make a case for it and they pitch me and they're desperate, then I'll support them. Hmm? Here's 20 bucks for the child I love. Now, what would you call that, right? What would you call a dad who said, I love my kid, but I'm not going to support him? you call that what? A bad father, right? A bad dad. Now, what would you call a Christian? Who says, I love my church, I love what's going on here, the overall health of it, how it ministers to my kids, how it's touched my marriage, people who are here for me. I love the church, but I don't support them financially unless they really beg for it. Hmm? What would you call that? You'd call that an average Christian. (laughs) An average Christian. And that's why this message is in this series, and why this conversation even, not really a conversation, more of one way, I know, I use that term loosely, why this message is countercultural? Because what every survey, what every statistical study shows is that's how the average American Christian supports their local church financially. Now, I don't want you to be average. That's not the heart of our church leadership team. I know you don't want to be average. I wouldn't be content if I said if we said, "Hey, our church is full of average marriages, <laughs> average people." Woohoo! We're average. No, we want to be great because the gospel compels us to be that. So, now the good news is, the good news is, our church overall is an average. Actually, we did some studies here, and two-thirds of the people who are members and attenders here are consistent givers, or tithers, percentage givers, but about a third of our church doesn't give at all, which means a couple of things, okay? First of all, it kind of hurts my feelings, it kind of hurts my feelings. It's like, after all I've done for you, I've prayed for you, served you, but that's not very mature, so I get over that, and I never tell you I felt that way. All right. Wait. But number two, it also means I've done a poor job in leading this element of our church, and that needs to change, which is why we're talking about it today. And even though that's tough to hear, and even though if you've got a friend, you've got a guest, you're just shrinking in your seat today, you're like, I knew it. The day I come, I bring my friend, they talk about money. That's okay. You need to hear this, and they need to hear this, because there's actually... Some good news in that statistic, in that two-thirds number. Think about this. Think of all the good this church does. Hmm? Think of all the ministry it does, all the people it helps. And we help people all week, every week, in all kind of needs you never hear about because of the sensitivity and timing of their needs. Think of all the ministry and outreach and impact we make with only two-thirds of our church financially involved. Hmm? Yeah, but I don't want us to be just above average in any area. I want us to excel as a church, to be great as a church. And so I've done a bit of research, and there's basically found out four main reasons why people don't have a plan to give, or four main reasons why people would say, I love my church, I'm so glad this church is here, but I don't have a plan. All right, so we're going to go through these together. So here we go. Four reasons why people don't have a plan to give. Number one, they've never thought about it. I never thought about it. Some of you, you just never thought about it. This may be new to you, so hey, we're done with number one. That was easy. Now you've thought about it. You know, you need a plan to support the thing that you say that you love. Number two, you've never, and these are going to get progressively more challenging. Number two, you've never taken the time, never made the time to create a plan. You know you should, but you never just made the time. There's something kind of here there that you throw in by accident, especially when it's for something that's kind of outside the church, but you've never made it a priority. And listen, that's not good. 
That's not good. For those of you who are Christians, to whom God has given his resources, you think he wants us to go through life just spending money here, spending money there, and never prioritizing, in some way, the resources that he gives us. And listen, giving isn't the only thing you need to prioritize. You need to prioritize your saving. You need to prioritize your future, your kids, all those things. And listen, I care about you. Love actually to write a book about this. Actually, I tried writing another book about a year ago. It got rejected by the publisher. So I just think I'll stick to what I know today. All right. So here is how this book would go. And if it actually sounds a lot like a certain famous money manager's perspective, so be it. Right? So here are some financial priorities for you. You've got to be ready for this because it's, it's really complicated. All right. So put your math brain on. Ready? Three things. Give, save, live. That's it. That's it. Give, save, live. Really, it's not complicated. Give, save, live. And here is why th- that, even that concept is countercultural. Because most Christians, most Americans today, don't organize their finances in that order. For most people, it's the reverse. It's live, 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 live. Out of what's left over, they may save a little bit. And what's left over, out of the leftovers, then they give. They give. That's why the average American Christian gives less than 2% of their income away. So that's average. Let's be great, right? God's called us not to be average stewards, but great stewards. So take the time, right, to make a plan, prioritize giving, then saving, then living. All right? Number three, here we go. This is a tough one. Number three, they have a theology that allows them not to give. Theology allows them not to give. People always want to debate. The concepts or the merits of the concept of tithing. In the Hebrew Bible, this, the, its perspective was a tithe or 10% of a person's income or produce was required. Just It just was. In the New Testament, tithing, though, is mentioned only one time by one person, of course, by who you'd hope, and it's the person of Jesus. When he rebukes the Pharisees for only tithing. When he only tithing, in other words, Jesus is saying, you ought to do both. The Pharisees had made tithing, or 10%, the lid. They made it the ceiling. When Jesus says, no, that's the starting point. That's now the basement. And the same way he did everything like that to the law. He said, hey, the law said, don't commit adultery, right? But now I say, whoosh, now it's at the bottom. It's if you even imagine yourself. It's even if you just lust after a woman. Now that's the starting point. You've heard it said, don't murder, right? That's the ceiling. He says, no, that's the basement. He puts it at the bottom. If you hate your brother in your heart, now that's the starting point. See, So, while nowhere in the New Testament does it say that giving 10% is a requirement for church membership, it doesn't say that, yet, nowhere does it do anything to dispel the notion that a 10% beginning starting point is born out of God's heart for his people for all time, okay? And then we see case after case of people in the New Testament giving away eye-popping amounts. I mean, Zacchaeus says, 50% I give away right here and now. Jesus says, salvation's come to this house, see? We ought to be looking at hearts changed by the gospel and not just by a minimum standard, okay? So that's one theological reason. Another theological reason people have, they say, you know what? I volunteer at my church. I volunteer at my church, and that's like my giving. That's my giving. I think, man, that's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal. Some of you, you're like charging us $250 or $500 an hour. That's a pretty good rate. Pretty good rate. I know it's crazy. Some people think it. So, what you need to ask yourself is if you say you love your church, right, but you don't give, ask yourself this How have I come to have a theology that allows me not to give consistently to the local church God's called me to be a part of? Now, I'll tell you where this isn't an issue anywhere else but America. 
in the Western world. I've got pastors in other nations of the world that say, you know what, men, men, all of our people are givers. I would love to be in a nation like yours with the wealth and the resources that your nation has. They've got problems in other areas, no doubt. But this is not one that they have, see. So, again, if this is you, you've got a theology that allows you not to give, ask yourself, did Jesus really come so that I could be free from never giving consistently to his local church? Last question here. What if, what if everyone, think about this, think about what you give, have that in mind. What if everyone gave to their local church like you do? Would that church be healthy, right, and strong, or something else? It's a fair question. You say, well, man, I don't give. This place is doing fine, right? I mean, look, it doesn't need my money, which leads us into the fourth reason. I think people don't give. Number four, they just think their church doesn't need it. And I'm going to spend some time on this one. So if you've checked out along the way, which is probably unlikely, this is where I need you back. Because this is actually one of the strangest thoughts that sometimes Christians can have. And if you're, you're new to this whole church and Christian thing, you think, man, Christians believe some strange stuff. It's true. We do. I mean, miracles, resurrection, fully God, fully man. But this may be the strangest one of all. Not necessarily true, but some people think it. And this is one of those strange things. I don't give because my church doesn't need it. Now, some of you grew up in a church where they needed your money. And you know what I mean. Where they needed your money. Because they always talked about it, right? There's always the pledge cards. Always the asks. Uh, always the, you know, the end of the year deal. And if you were like me, and you grew up in a church where you just didn't know if the church was going to make it every year, right? Hang it on. There's letters sent home at the end of the year, right? You get it in the mail. Church has got a budget shortfall. We need you to give. Some of you grew up in churches where they were like money hobbits, They ask for second offerings, right? There's second breakfast. They want second offerings every week, right? I feel like there's always envelopes and, you know, extra stuff to give to. There's so much pressure. And many of you gave, and you gave, and you gave because you felt guilty if you did it. And you weren't a happy giver. You weren't a cheerful giver. You were a here-we-go-again giver, right? Hopefully I identified some of you. And after a while, you just quit. Or more likely, you left the church that needed your money and you came here. You came here or another church like us. And you thought, great, it's all running, right? It looks good. They must not need my money. And especially when it came to the offering. The offering portion, you thought that sometimes, like today, it's kind of like the plates go by you. You're like, what just happened? I don't know. Uh, You may see a Kleenex in there as it goes by. You think, oh, gross. Who would put that in there? I don't know. Somebody's kid. Then you see the $7.95 in there, and you think, "Hmm, real estate in Austin, it's not cheap. Look at those lights. Look at that piano. It's kind of fancy. You know, I wonder what this place costs or what he or she makes. And you think, there must be something going on because there's no way that $7.95 in the offering pays for all that. Have you ever had that thought? Listen, I had that every week. It goes by. I think, man, how is this going to pay for all of this? You, you're smart. Listen, you know when you put that, that $5 bill in there and it doubles whatever is in the plate that, you know, it. They can't pay for what's going on here. I mean, promised land, right? We give away more T-shirts than those folks at the sports stadiums with the tube launchers, right? They're shooting. We shoot T-shirts out everywhere. Who pays for those? They must not need my money here. Now, here's the irrational part about this. I've been thinking about it. You don't want to attend or go to or be a part of a church that needs your money, Right? You just don't want to be a part of something like that. You, you know that if you're a business person, if something is on the edge of just going out of business every week and every month for years, the thing just isn't being running very well. 
right? Not always, but frequently there's poor leadership involved. And you don't want to be a part of something that threatens you and your money, kind of like, you know, if you don't give, we won't be able to change the diapers. You know, you don't want to smell poop every week in the church, do you? Give no. You don't want to be a part of a church that constantly needs your money, but you don't want to or won't give to a church that doesn't need your money. So here's what that leaves you. You, therefore, never plan on giving to a church you actually go to. Right? You don't want to give to a church that needs your money. You don't want to give to a church that doesn't need your money. So what are you going to do? You never plan to give to a church you actually go to. Now, what, am, what are we supposed to do with that? I mean, John, Galen, and I, we could get together. We could create a crisis, right? All right, staff, just max your budgets out. I mean, just spend it, just buy stuff. And then we could come back on Sunday and say... Now, friends, this week we've encountered a Christ. No, we're not going to do that kind of thing, right? And here's the other thing that's crazy about this. Do you, do you do business, those of you who are in the business world, do you do business with companies that provide great goods and services or with companies that are terrible and just going out of business, right? You have a soft spot for the place that's going out of business. You know, you don't, right? You think, man, it stinks to be you, right? I'm going over here. Do you want to be a part of something that's terrible. No, you, we all want to be a part of something that's great and put your money, right, in great products and great services. So why, if you're a part of a church you think is, you know, really pretty good and great, why would you treat a company like Disney or Starbucks or Chick-fil-A, God bless them, the Christian chicken, why would you treat them better, maybe you're like me, the only time you want to go is on a Sunday, then it's closed, and you curse there, you know, that God even made him, all right. Why would you treat a company better than the church that you love, right? Listen, I love Disney. I could live in a magic kingdom, love it. Some of you, man, just get your Starbucks. It's great. Keep on pretending that Frappuccino Grande is, you know, it's a drink and not dessert because you sip it through a straw. It's dessert. It's okay. Man, get the Starbucks, right? Go Get, get Chick-fil-A again the third time this week. I'm talking to some of you. But why would you treat a company better than a local church? That company doesn't know you. That company doesn't love you. You're just a number. Just a number to them, right? Let me ask you, when your marriage hits a bump, hmm, when your child or your teen's in crisis, are you going to call up Mickey Mouse and ask him to come help you? No. You're going to call up Howard Schultz, right? Starbucks, you're going to call up Tim Cook and Cupertino and say, hey, Tim, i got a problem with my marriage, right? Man, I bought your computer. He'll say, no, what's, what's Tim going to say? Listen, no, are you crazy? We already gave you that U2 album. You didn't want it anyway, right? So, man, forget it. We're done. We're done giving to you, right? Goodbye. No, who are you going to come find? It's someone at the church. And do you know what the beautiful thing is? We will always help. We will always help. We will always do our best, however we can, to come to your aid, no matter what. And we'll never check someone's giving record before or after that. It's irrelevant to the need. We are the church, the church of Jesus. We will always, always do our best to love one another and help you through the, your crisis and dark moments. So why would you get to the end of the year and you, you add up all the money you've spent? Why would more go to Disney and Starbucks and Chick-fil-A than the local church God's called you to be a part of. You could go to a place where they just need your money every week, right? But you get tired of that in the end and probably come back here. Or, or you could just do what you know. What we know is the right thing to do. Put together a plan 
to support financially your local church. Because here's the thing. We actually do need your money, but not for the reason that you may think. We don't need your money to pay for staff, okay? We don't need your money to help pay for lights or electricity or paint or carpets. That stuff is already paid for by the two-thirds of people who give here. It's already paid for. And I know some of you, you know, you don't like giving to bills and lights. You think, man, I don't want to pay for lights and sound and children's stuff, even though I consume that every week, but I don't want to pay for it. I just want to give to special things, right? Special stuff. And I want to say, that's because you think you're special and your money is special. Now, I don't ever say that. I just think that. And I go right back on and say, okay, fine. That's great. All right. Listen, the other stuff, it's already taken care of. And here's why we, though, here's why we need your money. Because this church is on a mission in the city to change the way that people view the church. We don't think the city just needs another church, even though I am so grateful for every church that's here. Uh, We walk with them and labor with them and pray for them and do life in many ways with other churches and pastors in the city. But we don't need another church, another kind of church, a, a kind of church that isn't politically liberal or politically conservative, but politically engaged, a church that is socially conscious and and ministers the gospel in word and deed, a church that is intentionally and permanently diverse, a church that has a plural of leadership that's both strong and yet approachable, a church that loves both the grace of God and the holiness of God, a church that doesn't say, listen, it's just the unchurched, or no, we're just here for our members, no, but that it's both, a church that's both passionate and deep, where you don't have to check either your emotions or your brain at the door, a church that has the fireplace of church history, but inside of the fire of the Holy Spirit for our generation, a church that's current, but not current events driven, where you're just kind of blown about whatever's on the headlines that week, right? Not just another church, but another kind of church, a church that plants churches, that plants churches, a church that can give away, I hope, millions of dollars one day. What if Live Big Sunday was actually bigger than Easter? Wouldn't that be amazing? We just packed it in to be able to give it away. But we can give away money and meet the needs of our members. You know, right now, on the other side of Promised Land, right now, well, actually not right now, but during the week, we're building, constructing three new classrooms because actually there were so many babies being born here. I think we set a record this week. There was three babies born, I think, on Thursday this week. Three in one day. What am I supposed to do with that? I can't get to all of them. All right crazy another half dozen i'm sure this month listen over the next few months i'll say this we're building those classrooms and if you'll notice we haven't had to raise a dime to do it those things aren't cheap haven't raised it had to raise a dime to do it and over the next few months we're going to be doing some building external renovations improve how our facility looks because we want you to be proud when you invite someone here to be a part of what we're a part of and over the last few years we've literally redone every room in the facility and that's cheaper stuff on the inside but the stuff on the outside is going to be pricey but guess what we're not going to have to raise a dollar to do any of it no building campaign no pledge cards none of that although those things are good we may do that one day but we don't have to Why? Because of this. Because of the two-thirds of people who are here who have been giving. Because of them, we don't have to raise a dollar. And let me show you exactly what that looks like and why. We've got some slides for you. I promised you last week, since you couldn't come to the financial meeting a few weeks ago, which about six people came to church-wide, six folks came, one of them said, this was so encouraging. I wish the whole church could see it. So fine, right? We're going to bring the financial meeting to you. So here we go. 
This is what we showed them. And this is our average attendance by year. You look back in 2010 where we started out at. And actually, that's a bit misleading. It was actually, for most of the year, way lower than that because I got here and along with the team, we skillfully led the church down. Way below that 200 mark. Then the next year, you see 334, 406, 499, 561. The last three months, that's where we've been at, all right? Pretty encouraging, right, to see that trend going up. Next slide. This is our income and expenses, and you see that in that kind of range. Uh, what you're wanting to look for there is that blue line to be above the red line. The blue line is our income, and the light blue is actually the rental income we get from building C across the way. We have a rental property here that hopefully we'll be able to expand into and move one day. We already own, for the time being, it's a cash, uh, cash flow property for us. So the blue, almost every month, is above the red, except for that little month in July there. We kind of had, had a hiccup. I think some of you take July off. I wasn't here during that month. I don't know what that means, but anyway. Actually, our rental folks gave twice in June, so it's a little bit misleading. It should be July. It should be higher as well. So there's October up to the date. Uh, so the blue's above the red. That's good news. It means every month we're actually meeting and above our expenses. Okay, next slide. This is actually super encouraging. This is our savings account. Now, at, this is, shows you at the end of 2010, if you look there, we had 71000 in savings. When I arrived here and Dr. John and some others inherited the leadership structure of this church, it was far less. I think it was down to like 5000 5,000. Now that's like you sneeze here and 5,000 goes. All right. So 71,000 by the end of the year. Next year up there, you see that 2011, 2012. Then we started not just our savings, but our building uh, fund as well, which we just put money, money into and budget every month for stuff like we're doing. And that number right there, which is, you know, gosh, what's that? You know, you do the math on it. 300,000 and change. That's after we put 60,000 in the parking lot and the first draw on our uh, facilities over here in Promised Land. Pretty good, right? Otherwise, that number would be way higher. So that's actually up to the minute. There you go. That's our, isn't that encouraging? That's what you're a part of. All right. And finally, let me just show you our percentages because this is really where people want to know and they ask about and they've got a right to. These are our percentages. The big one there, 42% goes to personnel. We're actually really proud of this number. The average local church, it's usually 50% or higher. That's actually what it should be. But we try to move our percentages that down that way, away from the 50%, down towards about 40%. Now, you wouldn't like to be a part of a church. It probably drops too far below that. Just saying. Uh, so the other percentages there, 11%, that's the yellow for our general operating expenses. The 28 is for our facilities. Now, the big one that we're really proud of is that great one there, the 19%. Almost 20% of our budget goes to giving away money and to ministry in the city and, that's, and around the world. That's really amazing. I think when I got here a few years ago, uh, we were around, I think, 2 to 3%. The average church is about 5%. Now, the smaller the church is, the smaller that number is going to be, and understandably so. Go to a small church, well, some of the expenses are going to be higher. But we've aggressively budgeted to move that gray area and get it larger and larger. And it's gone up every single year, and hopefully it always will. All right? So listen, that's the good news. That's the good news, and I hope that's encouraging to you. All of this is paid for, right? Because our facility, listen, our facility impacts the city. It's not just that we have expenses for the facility and the personnel that we have. It's what are those things aimed at? What are those things aimed at? And so we're aimed, obviously, outward. But listen, but if, if, if the other third of you just gave, do you know what would instantly get bigger? The 19%. 
the 19%. Our ability to impact the city in that way skyrockets overnight. Our ability to do more ministry and to give more away and start more stuff and partner with more ministries and churches and missionaries and even save for our future, that number goes way up instantly. You say, I want to give to something special? Fine, give it. It'll go to that. Because all the boring stuff is paid for. All the non-special stuff, which to be honest is what really makes the special stuff go. That's already taken care of. If the other third would just put your treasure where you say your heart is, this church's reach would skyrocket. So again, look at all we've been able to do because people didn't say. People here didn't say, I don't have a plan, right? Look at what we've been able to do because two-thirds of people didn't say, I'm not going to make time to create a plan. Right? Look at what we've been able to do because two-thirds of people said, I'm not going to have a theology that allows me not to support the local church I'm a part of. Look at what we've been, excuse me, we've been able to do because two-thirds of folks have said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give, even though it may not look like this needs my money. No, people just gave. They trusted, and aren't you glad they did? And isn't this, after all, what Jesus has done for us? Hmm? He didn't say, I don't have a plan to give, Right? I'm not going to make a plan for the people I say I love. I'm not going to have a theology, right, that allows me not to give and love and support the people that I say I love. Nor did he say, hey, they're just going to be fine without me. No. He said, my plan, right, is to give to them. My time will become their time. My theology is that sacrifice and love go hand in hand. Whether or not someone ever asks me, I'm going to give to them, right? See, a hope in the gospel produces love for the church. That's what Colossians tells us. Always has and always must. So, my favorite money, my favorite money every month, carries my, our favorite money, is the money we give here. Listen, you'll miss that, you know, that money you spend on going out to eat, maybe that new pair of shoes. You'll never miss money. Never miss money you put into God's kingdom. And we love giving here because we know where it goes and how far-reaching it is. So if you don't have a plan, okay, I'm asking you to make one. Actually, right now, maybe five bucks a month. That's a terrible plan, but at least it's a plan. All right. Or at least by January 1st to put a plan in place to financially partner with the church that you love. So there's no card, no fundraising, no campaign, nothing. Just a request to quite literally put your treasure where you say your heart is. Think of all the good we can do, church, if we do this together. Do you have hope in the gospel? I hope that you do. Do you have hope that God is doing something great here? I hope by those numbers you would say yes. Do you think there's hope for us that God will complete the good work he began in this church? Yeah. Do you have hope that the gates of hell won't prevail against us? hope you'd say amen. Now let's worship him as the band comes up one more time and tell him that this morning that we have faith and trust and hope in him. Amen? That's it. That's how you get to the end. You say, that's it. That was it. All right.